Hello, I'm John Kelly and this is a podcast of Mystery Train. For rights reasons, the music is shorter than in the original programme. Mystery Train hits the rails Sunday to Thursday at 7pm on RTE Lyric FM. song called Edges and it comes from uh, Innie Kay and I'm delighted to say that Innie Kay is my guest tonight on Mystery Train. She'll be picking all the music. Good to have you here, Ethna. Thanks a million, John. So Ethna's <laughs> the name, right? And we need, we need to clarify all this first of all. You go by the stage name of Innie Kay. Yeah, and sometimes people do call me Innie. In Germany I'm known as Innie, so I go I go by that as well. But your actual name is, is Ethna what? Ethna. Ethna Nikahan. Okay, from Kildare. Yeah, from Cock County Kildare, yeah. Kildare, okay. And were you, were you, were you always... Ethnony Cahan or were you Ethnic Cain or, or what? I, I fought quite a lot to be Ethnony Cahan all the way through, yeah. Every, every teacher in school wanted to call me Ethnic Cain and for some reason I just didn't uh, relate to that at all so I always said, it's Nikahan. So you took, you, you took the Irish name on yourself, did you? Yeah, yeah, that felt like me, you know, it doesn't, right. didn't feel and right did your, did your family use the Irish name? Yeah, all yeah, right, we okay. spoke a lot of Irish growing up, so... Yeah, that was that was my name, you know. So I was like, "Why are you trying to call me something else?" <laughs> okay, so um, musical background, Ethna, what what was it in the house? Um, I suppose it came through mainly traditional music uh, background, yeah, and lots of playing, lots of actual playing, not so much listening. Uh, growing up, um, bits and pieces here and there, all right. But uh, I was just thinking about it. Uh, more as yeah, more as I was playing a lot and singing a lot, um, growing up, um, be it festivals or, um, families getting together or you know, uh, all kinds of occasions and that. But and was, um, was this was this a natural situation in the household or was it through school that this was happening? If you know what I mean, some families yeah. learn Irish music, or learn traditional music in particular through, you know, the school system and the fish and mm. going to, doing competitions and so on. But and then other families, the really lucky ones, it's actually in the house. Yeah, I was lucky. My grandfather was a fiddle player. Right. He he was um, kind of known for his slow air playing. My mother's father, and um, he he taught us when we were quite young. So I I I taught I learned fiddle when I was four from him, a little quarter size fiddle, and um, so it was mainly in the in the family and being brought to lessons every week and also some classical piano, but also in school I I felt very encouraged in the school I went to. They they did sort of. Um, kind of make sure I well I was picked out for a few things for say communion solos and stuff like that right. and the choir and all that so I feel quite lucky because I know so many people say oh they weren't encouraged at school and um, I think when you're encouraged quite young you do you feel like you can sing and it's it's no bother you know so now your first musical choice is as trad as it gets some Sean Nose singing from Joe, yeah. Joe Haney or Joseph O'Haney yes when did you first hear Sean Nose singing I was about 10, uh, 10 or 11, and it was at home. We had this record um, um, from Gwailin, Joseph O'Haney. It was just called simply Joseph O'Haney, Joe Haney. Um, and I just, I somehow got fascinated by it. I don't really know why, but I, I just really listened to this record over and over again. Now, what did you make of it at the age of 10? Um, I loved the turns of phrases, I think. I think just um, something really true and gravelly in his voice as well, I, I was drawn to. Because even um, with good Irish, it can be hard to follow. 
uh, the old yeah. Shamrock singing sometimes. Yeah. But I, I hear someone like Liam Wenley, who you know and have worked with, yeah. I hear Liam singing sometimes, and the, the Irish that he's, that he's singing is, is so old and so archaic in some cases. Yeah, exactly. And the songs are so, so rich with Irish that we don't sometimes even use anymore. So mm. some of the phrases would be, um, yeah, so rich that way. Um, I can't even say what it was, John. I just, I, I just was kind of fascinated by it and listened to it at home. We had a record player and just a, a couple of records, a funny collection, really. Um, but this one and Scarabray as well, Mairead and Trina Nivona, seemed to uh, stand out for me. Um, so Eleanor Naroon is the one that I, I subsequently learned and sing have sung quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I loved his phrasing in this. Okay, Joe Haney, shows of Haney. Shows of O'Haney, Joe Haney there, the first choice of Innie K, uh, Ethna, who's with me in, in studio, picking all the tracks tonight. Well, that's a, that's an auspicious start. You're not messing. <laughs> the serious young girl. <laughs> when, when you start the show with Joe Haney, you, know, that's, you mean business. And uh, that was... Uh, Eleanor Naroon uh, from, from Joe Haney. So you were listening to Shandos at the age of 10 and you were playing... Did you keep the fiddle going? You started learning at four? Were you still... Yeah, very still much. Fiddle was my main instrument yeah. and still is to some extent. Yeah. I could play a lot of fiddle still all through, all throughout. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, maybe 10's a bit young, but when you move on, say you get to 13, 12, 13, 14, and the kids in your class are listening to whatever was the pop music at yeah. the time, did you go along with that? The pop music, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'd be sort of hanging in there to some extent. Like I'd, I'd just hear what would be talked about in the yard, or you know, uh, what would be on the way to the the skating ring or something would be on the CD player in my friend's car or something like now, that. When you say hanging in there, that sounds like a sort of you were just uh, affecting a certain interest in it. I never it? felt like I really knew what was going on. I always felt like I had this other side of music that no one else knew about. And uh, that was simply just from like traveling around the country and having certain um, having a group of friends outside of school, which were more my kind of people, if you like, mm. my, my social group, certainly more in secondary school. I don't think many people even knew I played, you know, it was more my own kind of private social life uh, outside of school. And did, did secondary school not sort of swoop you up as an available musician to perform at every <laughs> everything from mass to concerts? I think there was one or two, maybe the graduation, I, I did something with with two others, but not really, it wasn't really, like we just had music one, well, you know, one class a week or something. Um, mm. um, no, sure, I studied music, it was more than that, but it didn't, see, it didn't seem like a big part of yeah. school, yeah. But your musical interests were quite, were, were, were separate from your schoolmates, it was a separate thing. Yeah, I mean, R.E.M. and the likes of, at the Eels was the first concert I went to, but that was more through my brothers. Mm. Um, um, school was more a lot of grunge and Nirvana and all sorts of stuff like that, um, that I'd sort of know, but couldn't say I was very knowledgeable on. Yeah, yeah. Now, your next choice is, is Anne Briggs. So tell me about her very, well, a very influential... Yeah. Uh, English from Nottingham, I think she was from, English folk singer who... You know, wasn't all that comfortable with being famous or yeah. pu pushing herself forward at all, and yet hugely influential on people that came after her, like you know, and were her yeah. contemporaries, like Bird Yanch and people like that. Yeah, everybody, a lot of people reference her. All right, um, I just came across her out of the blue. I was down in County Clare recording my first album, which was a more traditional album, 
back in 2004 or five, I was down there with my friend Cuevin O'Reilly and uh, he had Anne Briggs on in the next room. And I just thought like, wow, that sounds really familiar somehow or other. I felt I really related to her singing something in my voice. I, I recognised or something similar. And I hadn't really heard singing like that before with a bit of bit of accompaniment behind female anyway like I would probably get to Paul Andy Irvine and Paul Brady and that but not so many female well she would have worked with Andy and she, and she have, worked she? with Sweeney's men yes yeah Johnny Moynihan Johnny Moynihan yeah. yeah um but I remember this little descending line in this song Willie Winsbury which was just so beautiful and I, I only you know when you're in the next room you don't really hear fully a song but I just heard this this um kind of re- repeating descending line and I thought it was so beautiful and I was um, kind of, as I say, getting ready to record my own album. So it was a big influence on me at that time. So this is Willie O'Winsbury, which I assume is an English song by the sound of it. Yeah, well, I'd say maybe Scottish references oh, in okay. there. Yeah. All right, here we go. Anne Briggs. And that's Anne Briggs and a song called Willie O'Winsbury and this is Mystery Train, RTE Lyric FM, the Sunday night special where we get someone to pick the music and tonight it's Innie K, Ethna O'Cahan. Tonight is Ethna on stage is Innie K. (laughs) We have to keep keep doing this. So um, you're in Kildare and when do you think musically that you may have got some kind of purchase on something of your own, do you think? Hmm, took a few years to figure that out. I think I enjoyed singing so much when I was put in front of a crowd around like early 20s, say. Uh, my first gig, proper gig, was supporting Luca Bloom and Whelan's to a full house. So it was quite a, quite a first mm. baptism of fire, you know. And uh, I just enjoyed it so much, got such a great reaction from the audience and just it felt like what I kind of needed and wanted to do. So it was then a question of finding out, well, how could I get an act together or a a set together that would work? And then, yeah, then the journey sort of began as to what I wanted to present and what I wanted to spend my life doing, basically, because making the music is your days. You know, that's how you spend your days. So what kind and what? why like what kind of message and do I want to get out or uh musically uh what I want to present now when you say you um you say you enjoyed singing yeah in front of an audience tell yeah. tell me a bit more about that because you don't first of all you don't strike me as a kind of a narcissist or uh you know someone who's desperate for attention or mm-hmm. you know any, anything like that yeah and um I, you know, just tell me a little bit more about that sense of, of of enjoyment you were getting. Is that, I mean, you know where some singers might, or some performers will say the only place they're really happy is when they're on the stage. I've heard that, yeah. Um, and certainly I identify, I'd, I'd, there's a certain kind of happiness that I'd feel on stage that is really uh, different from elsewhere. Um, um, I think the biggest thing is, it's sort of hard to describe, I'll give it a go, It's it's... It's that connection with with an entire room of people that you wouldn't have if you were going around having a chat with each person individually. You know, mm. it's a, it's something that everyone is actually there experiencing together. I suppose close to some kind of meditative experience or yeah. um, it's a, that, com- a communion kind of a situation. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, yeah, and you come away just feeling really enriched um, and sort of understood. Maybe I'd feel understood when I'm singing in a way that I wouldn't if I was chatting to somebody or 
just the voice carries so much mm. and then people tell you how it impacted them or how they um, enjoyed it or how it made them feel and you just feel like you've done something that's um, of value I suppose and it, yeah. some, I was always seeking something to do like since I was quite young really just something that would heal or something it was, I was always quite driven I didn't know what, what it was I wanted to do so um, I think singing just really felt good to me and then it seemed to seemed to work for others as well did you ever want to do anything else i mean did you ever train to do anything else or study to do anything else um i trained well i i, I didn't know for a long time i was quite late uh, still kind of figuring out um i was quite late figuring out what i wanted to do um but i did a i did an arts degree in in university and um i suppose teaching was kind of an obvious choice both my parents are teachers and had the Irish and quite artistic and you know um so there was sort of a drive that way but my father was also a guidance counsellor and it was quite funny he didn't really know what to do with me I think because I didn't I didn't know what I wanted and um yeah so there wasn't really anything else I did do some alternative medicine uh, for a year uh, some reflexology and things so there's sort of a healing instinct there and I've since trained as an Alexander Technique teacher so um, that's kind of interesting as well I, I hope to do more of that in the future um, but music just sort of naturally yeah gathered momentum in 22, 23 and kind of went from there Okay, your next choice is uh, when you mentioned him earlier as a friend of yours Quivin O'Reilly yeah, Cuivin was really an influential friend and still is. Like he's, he's one of those people who just goes and finds what he wants to do, and it's in terribly, is terribly, uh, or wonderfully inspirational in that way. He kind of just went and played with Tony McMahon because he wanted to play with Tony McMahon, you know. And the rest of us were kind of going, "Whoa, Cuivin!" <laughs> you know, he's just great like that, just going and doing. Um, what he wants to do. So now, this, I mean, people will know Quivin from the gloaming in, in yes. particular. But when he plays on his own, or he plays with Dan Truman, or he plays, you know, these, uh, it's, what he does is it's very hard to describe what he's at. Um, yeah. there's nobody else like him. He's a genius, isn't he? Yeah, I think he is. Yeah, he, I just recently heard him down in the Quiet Lights Festival in Cork the other weekend, and solo to hear him solo was was great again because he hasn't been playing so much solo recently. And uh, yeah, it was dreamland, like we just were brought off. And uh, certainly not for everyone, but I think for, for those who it is for, really benefit, it's beautiful. And in what context do we have him here on what you've, uh, what um, you've chosen? So yeah, I've, no, I've known Cuevin since I was about 10 and I've seen him play with lots of, lots of people. Um, but I loved, I loved the way himself and Mick O'Brien played together and their, uh, their album, um, was oh, it called Deadly Buzz? I think, and it's from that. So it's uh, it's Dennis Murphy's fling and two others. The third tune is actually the theme tune for Radio Gaeltachta, which used to go dong 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 dong. So I loved that one. Here we go. Quivan O'Reilly are there and uh, Michael Bryan, uh, music chosen by uh, Innie Kay, who's with me in the studio. It, you know when you listen. To that, you know, you realise the kind of, uh, just the riches we have here. Mm -hmm. And of course, there are similar riches in other countries. Uh, but the great thing is now that I think people are becoming more aware of, of what there is and yeah. being less, what's the word? Uh, they don't compartmentalise music quite so much. 
you know that, yeah. that if you're into if you're into tra traditional Irish music, for instance, you would never listen to music from West Africa or something. When in fact, you know, you probably should be. You yeah. know, there's great connections between them sonically. Anyway, there's connections between the music. Yeah, I think people are are really turning um, to look at what we have ourselves a lot more recently. I feel that in the last couple of years, more so. Um, for whatever reason, probably just groups like the Gloaming and uh, Lancome and different groups of that deserve maybe more accessible to people and aren't completely just the tunes. Um, so people who don't necessarily like just the reels and jigs can see that there are elements within the music that they, they can relate to and enjoy and feel like it is our music. Because it has to be presented in a way, doesn't it, to, for it to kind of uh, go beyond a small audience. You know, for yeah. it to be, it has, there has to be a way, a way to represent the music. And looking yeah. back, they all did it. I mean, the Kiltori Coolin and the Chieftains and so on put it yeah. in a concert hall in a formal setting and so on. The Bothy it's Band, a different where they, go, thing. they were a rock band, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Gloaming is, you know, you know they're all, Lancome is a completely different thing again. Yeah, I think um, if you try and put a session essentially on stage, it's not really going to have the same joy yeah. or beauty that a session has. Yeah. You know, and it's not saying that a session is or just tunes are, are any less or anything. It's just it doesn't quite work the same um, on stage when people are just purely listening like a session and music and tunes are for dancing and mm. people get caught up in the in the, the unity of all that happening together. But if people are sitting there listening, it's it's not the same thing. So it, it does need to change. Yeah. And what about that idea then of, of, of the music traveling in a global way? I mean, it always did. But you to this day, you get a group like the Gloaming who, when they perform at a, at a festival or an event outside of Ireland, I'm not necessarily sure people are thinking they're at some traditional Irish music thing. Yeah, they just at some that. extraordinary musical thing happening up there and nobody's, you know, yeah. the, pe the people in Sweden might necessarily be, yeah. you know, expert in Irish music. I think it's so refreshing because it's so different from, um, say, an Irish band going to America and people knowing it was like Kamali songs and, and it's very compartmentalised and that makes it that sort of plastic Irish sort of um, thing that we've we've had for so long and are trying to shed. Um, but I think that sort of thing of not knowing what you're listening to is so exciting because people then have a sort of a backdoor in or some way, a, a change of an angle on it all. Because sometimes when you watch the gloaming, you know, Martin might be the only one who's playing a traditional tune up there at, yeah. that, at that particular moment. Yeah. Queeving's beside him, but he could be playing anything. Yeah. Th Thomas is could be playing something straight out of a Bill Evans record. Yeah, I, yeah. But yet it, it all makes perfect sense. Yeah, because they can, I suppose, when you when you know a, a, when you know your own music so much or what you're playing, say, be it a tune in the in, in the gloaming setting or um, then you can go off like and and not be too afraid. You can come back, you know, but you can go way off as well. Did, what was your favourite trad band when you were growing up? Or did you have one? I mean, maybe you were maybe you were lucky enough to hear enough tunes outside of that uh, more commercial space. I guess. Um, I didn't really go for bands so much, really. Yeah. Um, it was only later I kind of discovered the Bothy Band and how cool they were. Um, and then with Ray, with the band I'm in, like we we definitely take inspiration from the Bothy Band. And now Ray involves a few people we would know. Tell yeah. Me, tell me who's in Ray. Uh, Liam O'Maney kind of gave us a call a few years ago. Um, myself, Cormac Begley, and Matthew Cassidy. And Peter O'Toole, yeah. his fellow Hothouse Flower uh, band members. So there's five of us that travelled for three years uh, with a show called Rian with contemporary dancers. And then out of that came the band Ray. So we do like maybe a gig a year 
Sounds good. <laughs> We're not terribly busy. Kind of hard to organize those fellas sometimes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So uh, your next. Uh, your next musical choice. You're still with the trad now. You're sticking. You're st well, it's it's. We're, we're, Bobby we're could jump. Well, we're, no. Well, we're moving into the, the sort of folk rock territory here. Yeah. Uh, with Sandy Denny. Yeah, Sandy was. Um, I suppose a bit like Annie Briggs in that she um, allowed me to think. I suppose um, to take a step out of traditional the traditional world and merge it with something else altogether. And hearing the the accompaniment with Fairport Convention and all that and. Um, yeah, the song Who Knows Where the Time Goes was just such a big influence on me. I think I listened to it all the way from Dublin to Galway on a train one day. You don't know where you heard it by any chance because I, I think, uh, if I'm right, several, a few other people have actually picked this song mm -hmm. as one of, yeah. the, one of their favourites. And it did, it, I mean, it did kind of cross over. A lot of people would know this song. I mm. wouldn't necessarily think they were Fairport Convention fans or Sandy Denny fans. Yeah. Do, so you, do you know where you heard it first or how you um, came across it? I was given a CD. I think it was Barry Moore, I think it was Luca Bloom, gave me the CD yeah. and said, you might like this. And I listened to it on the train and I just, I, it was one of those moments where I was going, whoa, that's so exciting. And I think just the sentiment of the song, it's sort of one of those songs that has kind of the entire whatever in it. There's something very whole about it. Okay, Sandy Denny. The voice of Sandy Denny there and the guitar of Richard Thompson. Uh, who knows where the time goes? The choice of Inny e. Kay, who's who's with me in studio. So you definitely, you know, this this brings you well up into your into your teens. Um, and further yeah. and further. Twenties, I'd say, yeah, early twenties. Uh, devo yeah. Devoted folky. Uh, devote. Well, here and there, just just a few songs that stood out to me. You know, it yeah. wasn't I wasn't listening to loads, but just the ones that. Um, the ones that hit home were, were strong, like yeah. <laughs> and uh, and was other music having any effect on you at all? Anything uh, you know, all the other things that were going on in the world musically. Um. Yes, there were. I was listening to quite a lot. Like I had this little songbook that I just wrote down songs from any, lots of different genres. Just any any songs that that uh, spoke to me, you know. So there was in that book quite quite a mix, quite a lot of folky ones like um, the. Paul Brady, Andy Irvine, Streets of Derry, and Nina Simone, Ain't Got No Life, and um, Birds Flying High, and Joni Mitchell, and there's quite quite a range of stuff. Um, but I suppose roughly in the folk, but to me that was like totally different from folk or traditional. Sure. That was like completely different. So, so that, were you, you then? Were you the you were the kind of person then that was you'd you'd go for a song rather than yeah. for a particular figure. I mean, friends, I know, I mean, I know I did, and I think a lot of boys do, you join a gang musically. So yeah. if you get into Dylan, you get into Dylan, big yeah. time, to the exclusion of everything else for as long as it takes to acclimatise the whole Dylan thing. Yeah. Or whatever it is. Uh, um, yeah, you seem to be, you don't particularly care who, what, where and when. As yeah, long I think as that's it's, right. As yeah, long as the song appeals to you. The song, like I, I loved listening to, yeah, um, Beth Orton, I, I went through a phase of listening to her a lot as well. And uh, and then like Dennis Murphy, Julia Clifford, Star Above the Garter, that was an, an album. So a lot of Kerry music, um, I was kind of devoted to that. And uh, Claire, East Claire fiddlers as well. And um, pretty pretty specific, but yeah, just bits and pieces of different things, you know. 
And we still, where were you living at this point? Were you still at in, home? In Kildare, yeah, still, at home. Yeah. Um, I was I was kind of moved into Dublin um, when I was 22, so I was in Rathmines there. And then I was, meet, I think I met Liam and Whaley around that time and um, another few friends that just were kind of introducing me to other types of music and seeing what was going on then in Dublin more. And uh, like I remember going to gigs in Whelan's and hearing the likes of Catel Koenig and yeah. that and just going, whoa, you know, that voice. And then the sort of singer songwriter kind of what could be portrayed through singing songs like that then became really interesting to me. When did you write your first song? Then? On that train journey, listening to Sandy Denny, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I wrote my first song, which was called Glee, which is a, a prayer. It's, it's in Irish. Um, yeah. And you wrote your first song in Irish? Yeah, I did, yeah. So I write in Irish as well as English, but mostly in English, but sometimes it just comes out in Irish. So you weren't expecting to have a number one hit with it? I wasn't. I wasn't going for a commercial <laughs> success. Very good. And Roger <laughs> play it a lot, though. <laughs> and, yes. And then when you, started, when you started writing, did you find that the floodgates opened? Did you start to write a lot? Or was that a, sort of a one-off for a long time? Uh, very... Um, I write a lot, but it's a lot more like um, journal and stuff, you know, just getting stuff out of the system. But I don't, uh, the songs come very um, sporadically, you know. I try, I now write a few hours every day, but um, I tend to write, what I write tends to become a song. There's not a whole lot thrown in the bin, like, what, mm -hmm. but there's quite a few, quite uh, sparse, but right. they all seem to become something, yeah. And... How long did it take before you reckoned this is this is this? Now, maybe the first one you wrote was a great song, but how long did it take for you to think I'm, I'm kind of onto something here? I can do this. Mm. Mm -mm. Um, maybe sure. maybe you still don't think that's something. Yeah, are. maybe that's why the hesitation. Um, no, I think I I felt personally like you know an excitement and that I was onto something. Um, even even with the first one, or maybe maybe actually I know when it was. Um, I wrote a song called "What's in the Bag, Love," and uh, I'm going to re-record it for my next album. But I I released it in this 2006 album, which is as I say more traditional fiddle and and shano singing, and then two of my own songs. So I was just beginning to write. But I remember playing "What's in the Bag, Love" to a crowd who's at a party back in my place. I was living in Harrods Cross at the time, and. Um, I remember just turning around after it and and like bursting into tears because I'd just really released something and they were all kind of going whoa and there was a, there was a definite reaction from them that I, I got a bit of a shock uh, that I suppose something I'd been working on myself privately and then sharing it to a group of people and having that sort of silence after <laughs> afterwards you know um was a bit scary but also uh kind of told me that there was something to it you know when you release a, um, an album or a song, do you, you know, when you say you're working on one now, does does that vulnerability that comes with it, does that concern you? Does it put you off at all? Cause some people don't like that. And it, they, they don't like it to the extent they'd rather not do it at all. You know? Yeah. Um, I don't like it, but it doesn't put me off. Mm. I, I do think it's necessary. I think... Uh, because I suppose the kind of writing I do is really exploring ideas or questions about the world and how things are. And um, 
yeah, just like to to actually get into what I want to say, you just you have to go through, yeah, it's sort of raw emotions and that sometimes. And then, but then when you come out the other side, it's so it's so um, fulfilling. So I guess it's really I I've known from the process that it's it's really worth doing. So I don't I don't mind. Yeah. Your next choice is Nina Simone. Mm-hmm. I ain't got no. Tell me about why you like Nina Simone. She really was a one-off. Yeah, I think she was so different to other people I was listening to in my early 20s, say, definitely not folk. Um, but I was always into, well, I was always into African music as well. We had um, Lady Smith, um, was it Lady Smith, Black, Black Mombasa at home, one of the records at home. And uh, like some of the rhythms there, I, I probably heard in Nina's like uh, band and... Um, I mean, broadly speaking, completely different as well. But, you know, I was just very attracted to um, African music and African-American music. And uh, she just, yeah, was so groovy and so strong in the way she sung that I just couldn't help but listen. So I love this one. Yeah, this is Ain't Got No Life. That should be good. That's groovy. Groovy, groovy. I was going to say, you used the word groovy earlier, and it's yeah, the first time I've heard groovy. it in a long time. So thank <laughs> you for reintroducing the word groovy twice in, into the programme. Nina Simone, quite quite something. The choice of uh, Innie Kay, who's with me in studio tonight, Innie's picking all the music. We'll have our next choice after this break. We'll be, uh, we'll be right back. Anyway, there we are. We're talking about something that we cannot possibly go on air with it. This is Mystery Train on RTE Lyric FM. In any case, with me in studio, picking all the music tonight. We just had uh, Joni Mitchell before the break and Kerry. We're going back. We're going back to one of the big, uh, the big folk albums, um, Andy Irvine and Paul Brady. Mm-hmm. Now that's that remains to this day uh, like one of the great albums of any sort if you ask me and uh, yeah. Andy's been on here and we've, we've talked about that and of course they, you got to, they got together again to play this music which is just astonishing Yeah, you know? yeah. I think it's it's just when you hear the even the introduction to this one and as I roved out I think they're just two just beautiful the kind of songs that you just go ah, you know just sit back and listen and enjoy it's a it's that hurdy gurdy sound and the bazooki together, and then. Did, did you did you get this album when you heard it first? I mean, did did you understand what was going on exactly? Did because I get everything it? Everything about it, the accompaniment is strange, and if it's free, if it's your yeah. first time out, the, the sound of Paul's voice, the sound of Andy's voice is strange as well. If it's yeah. your if it's your first time, I think yeah, the sound of Andy's voice is a bit strange and kind of peculiar. Um, I'm mean, not sure. Well, well, let me explain. I mean, if you're brought up listening to Top of the Pops, mm-hmm. this would have sounded very very kind of odd mm. in, a, in a great way uh, yeah and of course I was coming from like I suppose yeah un- unaccompanied singing tradition and then hearing this cool like hurdy-gurdy in the background and going and then a bazooki and two well sometimes two voices together it's just Andy and this one um and it just seemed like a really cool progression for me I think when I heard it um and again I, I often go for lyrics in the first line of the song it's a peculiar song the streets of Derry I think because it starts off with um, Oh, after the morning there comes an evening and after the evening another day. And then it goes into this other, the first line doesn't really connect with the rest of the song. <laughs> but I love that first line. It's There's so more to promising. Say anyway. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here comes Streets of Derry, Andy Irvine, Paul Brady. 
music there from Andy Irvine and uh, and Paul Brady. The choice of Inny K, the song Streets of Derry. Sounds extraordinary that still, doesn't it? Still, every Amazing. time. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, where, where did we get with your, your life and musical career? When did you first go on the road? We're talking about Andy Irvine there, always on the road. When did you, uh, when did you first yeah. go and start playing gigs? Um, you know, there's the odd gig here and there for a while, just not really touring or that. Um, I suppose I remember the first time I went off was was with a band. Um, I was in Germany actually um, for a, a kind of nineteen tour date around Germany every single night, and I thought, wow, this is this is not the way to do it. <laughs> but it was sort of organised, and you know, you're part of other acts, and but nineteen nights in a row, yeah, it was it was grueling on a bus, um, and yeah, just stopping off at um, roadside places and eating and motels. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't know if this is, <laughs> this is the way I want to do it. So That's attractive for about an hour and a half. Yeah, kind of yeah. Um, but I suppose you do those things and you learn how to how you want to do it yourself and you try and... Uh, you mentioned earlier that your dad was a career guidance counsellor. <laughs> was there ever anything said? Um, about music and about... Well, about you having a career in music. And yeah, um... To this day, I'm so actually grateful. My my father passed away seven years ago now, but one of my favourite memories is when I went to live in Dingle to kind of, I went to live there for three years to um to play and write, and I just thought it'd be a good place for me to be, and it was it was a wonderful time. But I remember when I went down, he uh he said, "Follow your dream." He said, "Follow your dream." Here's three thousand euro, and sort sort yourself out. Like have a little contingency. You know, bank account and have uh, and have your current account, and he just we went through a little budgeting thing, and he said, "Follow your dream," and I say that because I'm so glad to have that memory because other times there was a lot of um, uh, scared. They were both quite scared, I think, or not scared, but worried. Of course. Yeah. Um, well, you would. So be. you would be, and I, I and now I see like for very good reasons. Um, but I always feel like. At the time when you're in your early twenties or late teens, and you're trying and you need that support, sometimes you're not going to get it until you actually make it. But when you need it is when you when you don't when you haven't got it made yet, you know. But then when you make it and you're all confident, then everyone believes in you, you know. But I suppose that's that's just the way it is, you know. You have to go out and and make it work. Well, it was very very uh, what's the word far sighted of them and. Noble of them and all those it's things. It's one of those things know? I can I can hold on to and go, yeah, yeah. like, the, you know, when someone has a bit of belief in you, um, it goes a long way, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did it put any pressure on you, though? No, um, no, because he also said, and if it doesn't work out in two years, you know, you're going to have to try something else. And uh, I still say to him, well, it's kind of working out. <laughs> I'm quite like, you know, it's not like I, I, I have everything I need at the moment. Well, I do have everything I need, but... Uh, yeah, it, it takes a while to to get. get and, and how did Dingle work work out then as as a, as a place to find yourself or find out what you were good at or become begin your well, creative I, journey? As I such? was quite far on to be honest at that stage in, in terms of I was I was already sort of devoted to music being my life, but it was also I also needed to teach some and I was doing some translation from English to Irish and uh, and Dingle was a good place to play gigs or or you know so I, I thought it w- it was good but it was more really traditional gigs and I really wanted to do something else. I still didn't really know what, but it wasn't just pure traditional. So. Um, there's loads of music and artists living down there and with the language and 
just some great people living down there that I got a lot out of my time there artistically and personally in that. You could also get distracted in Dingle very easily. Uh, you could. It could go either way in yeah. places like that. I think you can sort of um, forget that you need to um, have a bit of momentum going. But then there's people like Philip King and other people living down there that you kind of go, God, they're great. Like, you know, just powerful as energy, you know, and you kind of, you have to really fend for yourself and make things happen, I suppose, when you're living in a place like that. Or you, you could easily kind of just go on the dole as well and, you know, just do the odd thing here and there. But I was quite motivated and really wanted to get myself together. So I put together a music plan. I went into Tralee County Council and uh, and got a back to enterprise, back to work enterprise allowance. And uh, maybe I shouldn't mention all this. I think this is probably too much. Well, this, is, <laughs> useful, this is useful information for anybody else who wants to go to Dingle and, and, and find themselves. <laughs> or anywhere My like concern you. would be I could go to Dingle and lose myself very quickly. Well, how would you lose yourself? Well, you know... There's a lot of attractive public houses in Dingle. Yes. On either side of the street. <laughs> Kearns there would have Facing you. each other. Yeah, I go down to Kearns and James still gives me a fiddle from behind. Like, and it could be, you'd, I can't leave that place until five o'clock in the morning. Like the whiskies, he just keeps you feeding you. And, uh, or or a, quite apart from that, you could go up and sit on a rock for half a day, you know, and do nothing. Yeah, I loved it in that I, I love swimming in the sea. So I'd get up and I'd go for uh, go for a run, dip into the sea and go home and write for two or three hours. And it just was a really, really nice time creatively like that. Um, See, that, that that's great when you... Because, you know, you don't need a lot of money, actually, you know. No. Unless you've got... If you've got a family and so on, you've got yeah, you know, all, that, all that stuff, that's different. Mm. But if you're on your own, and you're in Dingle. Mm. I mean, how much money really do you need? As long as you can pay your rent and get yeah. by, get by, get the food and that. God, but I mean, then, then you realise you want you want a bit more. You want to, you know, I suppose up the ante a little. And then re in the show came along. And then I was travelling for three years, kind of with that on and off. So a lot like we were literally everywhere. And then you're a professional time. musician at that point. And then right? yeah. yeah, then things like tax and all the rest of it comes in, and you have to <laughs> you have to manage yourself a bit more. Still, professional musician, you know, that's that you, yeah. you, you had achieved what you set out. Well, I don't know if you set out to be a professional musician, but there was no denying at that point you were a musician, a fully functioning, working musician. Yeah, that's that's verifying, I think, yeah. that when, you, when you can actually... I suppose for years you're sort of saying you're a musician and not quite believing it yourself and people don't really believe it from you either. <laughs> so there's always tentativeness kind of... And uh, when you're going to get a job and all that, and but then when you can actually say a musician and mean it, and it's it's um, it, you have a different relationship to to how you, you describe yourself like yeah, that, which yeah. is important. Oh yeah. Your next musical choice is what? Broken things. Oh yeah, this song is so beautiful. Um, so around the Oma bombing, Julia Turner sang this song for for the commemoration, I think, of that uh, awful uh, tragedy. Um, and I remember listening to it at home on the radio and just, yeah, just bursting into tears. I think it was one of those songs that, that made me think the, of the power of song. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute after, mm. we, after we play this. Broken Things. My heart Innie Kay is with me in studio tonight, picking all the tracks. That's a Juliet Turner song, Broken Things. And you just said bef before that, uh, Ethna, that, um, you know, that, that songs like that make you realise how powerful songs yeah. songs can be. 
is that always in your mind now when you're when you're writing a song that it that it actually you know does it does it have to be powerful i mean some songs are powerful in other ways they might just make you happy and that's the yeah, end yeah you know, exactly that's, that's power no, as well you know it's not something that would be in my mind writing no i think it's just uh, an effect that happens kind of with some degree of magic i think somehow or other some songs just really touch you and that song just really really touched me as i thought well the power of it to bring a community that are grieving together was like you know really really valuable and really really special there are other songs that already exist and they can they can acquire a whole new power in a different circumstance like for instance one when, when Paul Simon sang The Sound of Silence at the 9-11 mm. Memorial. Mm. I mean, how often have we heard The Sound of Silence? I know it's a mm. great song. Everybody knows it's a great song. But when yeah. he sang it at that, it just became something else. Yeah, isn't that funny? So there is something weird about how songs can... They're never finished, you know? They keep... They yeah, can, they can, they're totally alive. Yeah, there's a song I have called DNA, and I wrote it just with something else in mind altogether. Um, really just kind of... I was reading a book about Afghanistan, and just I was thinking, you know, how people can grow up in in one area and um, have a completely different life yeah. to us here and that kind of an idea. And then somebody wrote to me to see if they could use it for the um, the abortion referendum and how it... And then it was put to, like, pictures of uh, how Irish women were treated over the decades, kind of a reading in the years sort of a, yeah. a thing. And I, I saw how the words really were apt for that, you know, so it was it funny. Your, it wasn't in your mind Not at all, all but it just, it just kind of changed the angle of the song altogether. Songs are strange things, all right. Where do you think they come from? Do, 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 no, but do you have a th <laughs> do you have a theory on that? Uh, where do songs come from? I don't think I have a theory. I think there is something. There's a. There is a. Something. Indescribable, really, that happens when an idea or some. I suppose there's an impulse there of something that wants to be said, really. As I suppose something that wants to be said and then finding a way to to put a shape on that. Have you ever written a song where, you know, you've written it and you look at it and you go, I've no idea why I wrote that or where that... I'm, I'm using the phrase where it came from again, but in a different kind of a context where you look at it and you think, I've no idea how I wrote that, why mm. I wrote that, even if, if... I don't even remember writing it. Um, the reason I ask is we had a poet in yeah. who, a poet who said... Mm. that poems have, have appeared on the page and then there was this almost bewilderment afterwards as to where they've... Yeah, how, how they I shape. sort of loved that and I kind of love to have that experience but I can't say I have. Mm. I seem to like really work out um, just it mostly recently anyway and the, the songs I'm working on at the moment seem to be um, something that I just feel the need to explore like an idea or situation or something and I just sort of work at it like kind of I don't know sculpturing or just quite working away so course, I know kind of where it comes from and and I've thought the things through quite a lot so yeah, yeah. I mean some of the some of the very best songs in the world were written by people who had uh, had to write a song by 12 o'clock yeah know? I like I mean, those kind quite, of ones, yeah. quite a lot of them were yeah. all the great songs not all of them but a lot of great great songs were written in that uh, yeah in that manner and that was done and then now what give me a title for that one okay well, next yeah. next song yeah, I was given a nice tip by a friend of mine, um, Patrick, um, who has a, a wonderful project called I Have a Tribe, and he was saying... Uh, he, he it's a good record, that. Oh, he's mm. super, yeah. And he was saying he was over at uh, the People Festival over in Berlin, and he was playing with Feist, who is, like, one of my heroes. And I was going, what? And he was saying, yeah, yeah, he's playing with Feist. And they had an exercise of where he'd pick a... Um, 
any topic that you'd want to write about and just sing as if you'd written it five years ago, that it was already kind of written, already in existence. And I loved that. It was sort of like, uh, it takes it takes you over the step of feeling like you still have to write it, like it's already done. And then the, apparently Patrick just played this song and it came out fully formed. So that kind of thing is pretty mysterious and pretty cool. Okay, next choice. Oh, an old song, actually, um, Dink's song. People associate it with Bob Dylan in particular, even though lots of other people have recorded it. What, what do you know about it? Um, I just know that Bob Dylan picked it up from a woman called Dink. Um, and, yeah, I just love it. I, I heard it from a band called Furnace Mountain who were playing on Shop Street in Galway um, many moons ago. I, I saw them there and um, I just thought they were brilliant. I picked up their EP and listened to it loads and loads and loads and sing the song quite a bit myself. Dink's song. And that's Dink's song, performed there by Furnace Mountain, uh, the choice of Innie Kay, who's with me in the studio. We are just talking there, Innie, Ethna, about, um, you know, the power of songs that mm -hmm. you write. But what about the power of traditional songs like that that have been around for a long time? Because, they, mm. you know, there, there's something about yeah. old, old songs. Well-worn. Yeah, and I mean, they're well-worn for a very good yeah. reason. You know, they, they must they must be significant or people would yeah. have forgotten them. And when you think of all the people that have sung them and all the uh, places and rooms they've been heard in, like, seem to take on an entity in themselves. Songs, yeah, songs like that that you think uh, have been sung and sung and sung. They, I mean, that, that line, I know it's, it's been attributed to Frank Hart and, and to other people as well, but, you know, that uh, but, you know, songs like that tell you how people felt. You know, yeah. history books tell you what, what, what happened. That's right, But yeah. these songs tell you what people felt. And another friend of mine, David Hammond, always used to say, you know, for a song to have survived for hundreds of years, there has to be something really powerful at the heart of it in order for people to keep it going. Otherwise, yeah. it would fall away. You know, I think so, yeah. It's just, it's the nature of a good song if it, if it keeps going. Um, like, what's contained in that song. Like, for me, that song... Um, Wild Mountain Time. Mm -hmm. It's one of those I kind of almost feel a little embarrassed to sing because it's just so common and so, um, so sung everywhere. Um, but I often do it at gigs because it's just one that always you just when you get into that song and everyone is in it and they're singing "Go Lassie Go." It's just you can't deny it's just like so well worn and people are in it and love it. And, and yeah, everybody for a knows reason. it. Everybody and everyone knows, knows it. it. And can in share it, kind of enjoy it and share and it. And yet that it. song's not that old. Because it's not, it I guess, written, yeah. Written, I know there's an argument about this, but it, you know, the, the the claim is it was written by the McPeak family in Belfast. Yeah, I've so, heard that. In, in which case it's not that old. When were they like the Well the family still still goes, but yeah. which of the McPeaks would it would have been the probably the great grandfather of the people who are alive at the moment, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or yeah, probably. They all there was it's complicated. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and people there, say it's Scottish. There was, big, there was like yeah. big Francie and young Francie and middle Francie and stuff like that. So I don't know what it was. Yeah, but then Elizabeth Cronin from like from um, Cork had had a song called Bonnie Blue Eyed Lassie, yeah. and that's basically the same. And people say it's Scottish, and uh, you know yeah. Van Morrison has recorded yeah. it. Yeah, and, and Sandy Denny. And Sandy Denny yeah. and, and Dylan's has, has sung that song as well. Yeah. So. So I don't it's know. I like I like the Belfast angle on it though that it yeah. might have been <laughs> might have been written in Belfast, mm -hmm. but anyway, Rod Stewart recorded it as well. Should, oh, you, yeah. should you ever uh, yeah, ever yeah. need it? Um, <laughs> your next choice is um, Joanna Newsom. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, another one of those kooky uh, eccentrics mm-hmm. in, a, yeah, in, a, in a wonderful way. Yeah, and I think the first time I heard her, I wasn't sure. Like, I kind of loved it and kind of hated it all at once. The, the voice is so peculiar. Um, but, yeah, just the fact that it's so different and offers something completely new to my to my ear, ears at the time. Um, I loved it. So I think the first one I heard was Clam, Clam Cockle, Cowrie. That's a great song, I loved yeah. that one. Yeah. yeah, that was the first one I heard. And, uh, yeah, she just, she just blew blew onto the scene like with something completely different although I, I should apologise for reducing her to a kooky eccentric it <laughs> doesn't, doesn't really quite I doesn't see. quite cover it oh uh, yeah that and that and a lot more I mean this is uh, Joanna Newsomen on a good day hey, hey, hey. Joanna Newsom there and on a good day the choice of any uh, K mentioned Belfast earlier and mentioned Van Morrison and as it happens your next choice is one of the one of the big songs mm. uh, again um, a song like Madame George when you heard that for the first time a bit like talking about Paul and Andy's or Andy yeah. Irvine's album because we you know if you talk to anybody who was around when this album came out um, a lot of people were thrown by it confused by it blown away by it couldn't figure it out mm. that kind of stuff it's great when something like that comes along. Yeah. So what did you make of, of this version of Van Morrison when you heard it first? I kind of, I kind of, when you say that, I kind of would have loved to have been there when yeah. it came out to see like what I well, would have Can you imagine bringing that off. home and putting it on and thinking, what's oh, this? Yeah, yeah. I think when I, it was the first CD I, I bought actually, um, Astro Weeks, and I, uh, when I, uh, Madam George especially, I think it's just a, uh, like you can hear them in the room, you know, you can hear all the mistakes and or not mistakes, just they're not mistakes at all. It's just it's loose, you know, mm. and gorgeously loose and imperfect, but so cool. Um, and the string, I think the, the, the string section when they come in and the whole thing kind of calms down and then gathers momentum again there towards the end. I just I just think it's fantastic. It's one of those ones just to turn on and have 10 minutes of bliss lying back on the bed or whatever you know <laughs> Madam George Madam George Madam Joy from Van Morrison the choice of any K how are you doing, Anthony? All right. I'm great. Love Good. that. Yeah. yeah. It changes the changes the temperature of the room. That tune, doesn't it, Van? You know. He's just cooled it all down. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. We're nearly over. We're, ne- <laughs> we're nearly there. Um, your next choice, I know, is Camille. Now there are several Camilles. There's Camille O'Sullivan here, and there are a few others out there. But tell me about this Camille and the album. Is it La Fille? La Fille. Yeah. Um, I think it was Sean McElhane, a wonderful uh, clarinet player, put me onto Camille and. Um, um, I listened to it. I, th- I think, I suppose, I was doing a bit of looping and things and exploring my voice and stuff like that at the time. And Sean said, have a listen to this woman. And she goes all out, like, with kind of all sorts of sounds, vocal sounds and, um, yeah, pretty um, out there stuff sometimes. But this album I love because there's this gorgeous drone going th- the entire length of the album. And uh, I think the feel means the thread I could be wrong there something like that um but there is a thread going through the entire thing this drone and um 
Yeah, I've I've listened to this album probably more than anything in the last while, partly due to my phone being <laughs> not so great at holding much music at the moment. But uh, I I just love I love this song. Um, I, to me, it's sort of an old. It's got a real French feel to it. She is a uh, she is French. And funny enough, when I was over in Paris on a residency there last year uh, for six weeks at the Centre Culturel Air Londres, um, I met via Adrian Crowley, who was also there. I met um, Camille's producer, who produced this record. Oh. So that was a real thrill, because, uh, you know, when you've listened to something so much, and he said that... How was that res residency, by the way? Because you know something, we're talking about Dingle being a, a distraction. <laughs> Paris is a kind of a distraction Oh, my God, well. yeah. What a distraction. I think the idea that I'd actually make a record while I was over there was slightly optimistic. Mm. Um, I think for anyone who... Or for me, again, if I'm going on residency, I think the thing is just to take in the city or wherever you are, take it in and not I yeah too many distractions to actually make much work for me did you have work in mind before you went there or were yeah. you hoping something would hit you when you in the, in, in the course both really I was I, I was writing starting to write this this album I'm, I'm writing at the moment and uh it's just taking longer. I thought I would have, you know, written more over there. But after a week or two, I realised that wasn't going to happen. Paris. Put the books away. <laughs> Go down and have a, a wine down in the local cafe. Do and and all you, uh, yeah, downstairs. You don't <laughs> yeah. even have to go anywhere. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> And that's Camille there, and uh, that's the choice of Inny e. Kay, who's with me in studio. We're talking there about your residency in um, in Paris, mm -hmm. Centre Culturel, and um, Rue des Irlandais. You get your yeah. own, you get your own street and everything. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Jeff Ballard. Did you worked with him? How did that come about? Now, Jeff Ballard is, is a serious drummer. I know. I'm not saying you shouldn't be playing with a serious drummer, but I mean, he's, uh, I mean, I, I can't just wonder how you met. Or well, so it's just every now and then these kind of things happen that you go, well, how, how does that come together? And it's, it's a wonderful thing. Um, he was uh, looking to do some duos, some collaborations in Dublin last year. And um, I was uh, put together with him to the organiser, Matthew, who was, who was running it. I think Note Productions, and um, put on a series of gigs in the Fumbly Stables there, and um, myself and another four or five musicians and poets um, were put together with Jeff. Uh, so I got to, I think the most wonderful thing was flying back from Paris into Dublin and going to the Fumbly Stables and having like a two-hour run-through with Jeff, uh, like a phenomenal jazz drummer. I play with a phenomenal drummer, Brian, in my band. Um, so I love I love drums and percussion, but like Jeff would be a huge inspiration to Brian. So Brian was kind of going, wow, you know, and, and I got a CD from Brian of of Jeff's um, uh, music and listening away to it. So Jeff sent me one of his songs, which is called Come With Me, which is funny because I have a song called Come With Me as well. But um, so I learned this song that he had written and um, he was playing away and it was it was pure magic, like having this almost master class before the gig. Uh, as we were sound checking and rehearsing, he's a terribly um, kind person, really, really lovely person to make music with, and um, was very I I thought patient because I I would have very I'd have no jazz training, um, but I loved the the challenge of making these phrases work uh, in his song and then in my own songs. He he was playing along with my songs. 
mm. which was <laughs> just an amazing experience. I felt incredibly uh, grateful and just that I was in this dream, really. And he was also playing along to a Shano song or two that I sang, and that was pretty awesome just to hear this this mix happening. Wow. Mm. And then you went back to Paris. And then I went back to Paris like two days later. No, I didn't because the storm was, was on. So I had a week in Dublin going, I want to go back to Paris. <laughs> I did eventually, but I was delayed. Uh, yeah, but with that in my uh, in my um, my memory, it was lovely. What do you like as a as a musician to work with as a band leader? You talked about Jeff Ballard yeah. there being very patient and so on. A lot of band leaders with, and I perfectly understand why are not patient. And I understand why it's their gig, <laughs> their music, it's them people are coming to see them, not the drummer. You know, what do you like? <laughs> I'm not sure how to answer this one. Uh, how can I find? Are out you a hard that? taskmaster? Mistress. Um, I wouldn't say I'm too hard. I'd say I I like things to run smoothly. Uh, so things like just being places and time on time and stuff like yeah. that are important. Um, but the lads I work with are fantastic, and they're both so so talented and just really they're really great to work with. Are um, you a perfectionist? Um, I would say I am, but I've managed to let go of a bit of that that used to cause me awful trouble because you get stressed out just being looking for perfectionism you know and then you just become a horrible person to <laughs> to make music with there was once or twice where yeah just fight like just fights over small things before gigs and like really rarely once or twice but I remember the difference on stage is awful you know you yeah. can't you can't can't collaborate you have to have a chat and make things should make things are okay like beforehand um but that so rarely happens. But yeah, perfectionism can get in the way. Um, Especially because it doesn't exist anyway. Yeah, exactly. So when you're trying to make something that doesn't exist, it's not, not <laughs> going to help you. Um, <laughs> but more and more, I think, just the little things, let let them go, you know. And uh, I think early, I think for a while I tried um, with perfectionism, like, to, yeah, when I'd listen back to things, they'd really irk me if they were, could hear little imperfections, but now I, I just let them let them go more, you know. What would you, what would be your idea of you know everything working out for you as a musician? Ideally, ideally, mm. now, what would you, what would you want? Um, a good balance between playing and being at home would be really important. Mm -hmm. Um, like so on, touring I, the world wouldn't appeal to you. Not, not constantly, anyway. extensively. Yeah. No, uh, like I like. I am, I'm trying to work towards like picking out tours that I want to do that would be, you know, two weeks or so um, more around Europe and not so, so far, you know, the odd tour in America. I'm going to Canada and America in February. So that would be, that'd be nice, but it'd be probably for a month. Um, so that'd be quite long. Um, but yeah, UK, Europe and um and in Being terms at home, of, a lot. and at it's home, good. you know, would you would you fancy having a, just the best imaginable home studio, for instance? Or are you happy mm. enough, you know, with a small, I'd love a home studio, small, yeah. yeah. Like at the moment, it's yeah, just bits and pieces in the sitting room. You know, yeah. I would love to have a, a place that you don't have to move things. You can go into and and play. Um, but yeah, I think like just to to be around with friends and that is really important, and to have a sense of community and. That you have a life where you are. I think if I'm traveling too much, it can be very disconcerting. Do so yeah, just to feel happy in that way. Do you think that's a good thing having a home studio? You know, some musicians are starting to think now that well, you know, it was better when you you hired a place for a fortnight and you went in and did it and that was it. Mm. You know, 
there's a lot of a lot of tinkering goes on when you've got your home studio, you know, fixing things and changing yeah, levels. And, and I've never done it, so I don't really know. Only just on like GarageBand on my laptop. That's all. I'm, I'm trying to learn how to use Logic now and do more on my own. But I think ideally, I'd like to get it to a stage where I know what's happening and all the arrangements at home, and then bring it to studio and have someone else uh, help me with it. Because I would be a little bit too. Um, I'd find it hard to tell the wood from the trees sometimes when mm. I'm in that area of needing to make a decision. Um, but I'd like to do more more of the process on my own and then bring it in as opposed to going in and doing sure. everything in the studio. Yeah. Your next choice, and you, her name came up earlier on, Leslie Feist. You mentioned Feist. Mm. Uh, one of your pals was playing with playing her. Playing with her, yeah. Yeah. Um, She's quite, she's really, yeah, I know with Broken Social Scene and all of that, but her own stuff's incredible, isn't it? It really is, yeah. I, I just love what Vice does and every album is kind of just that bit different that she brings her audience along with her like and is unapologetic about what she does. I think I really like her integrity as a musician. Mm. Um, and as a kind of really strong kind of... Um, uh, woman musician, I think she's it's just great to have her as a sort of a uh, someone I look up to, I guess you know, um, just the way she does everything and the way she brings people in with her. Like she's got a good crowd around her musicians, and seems she seems to galvanize a lot of people, you know. Uh, and yeah, I, I just love the sound of her new record. Getting getting uh, getting to hear it more now and get used to it. But this this uh, track is uh, get it wrong, get it right from her her. Her um, album Metals. Get it wrong, get it right from Feist, the choice of uh, Innie Kay, who's with me in studio. This has been great, Edson. Thanks a million for coming. Oh, in. thanks so much for having me. Enjoying it's great. This a lot. And uh, you, put, you brought some great music in with you. Before you go, there's a, a gig. I'm not sure if you've mentioned it or not. When is it? Where is yes, it? Yes, there's a. I have a gig in the Cobblestone on the 23rd of November uh, with the full band. So it's Friday the 23rd of November, and then for Tradfest on the 24th of January, I'll be playing a double bill with David Kitt. Oh, great! Yeah. Okay, you, you've been talking throughout this about you're working on a new record. So yeah. when, when is that likely to see the light of day? Uh, spring next year. Um, is is what I'm thinking. Um, Up with the daffodils, eh? Yeah, I, I love that time of the year to release an album. It's good as long as it doesn't snow too much and you get kind of uh, not you can't get to gigs like what happened last year. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of gigs planned for yeah. March and I couldn't make them. But um, it's it is a nice time of the year to bring out something new. I I'm, I know you shouldn't and probably don't want to, but shouldn't talk about uh, this record. But does it have it? title or the songs anywhere nearly finished or what um yeah it's it's a good i always feel like when there's six or seven songs um uh in made or in some somehow existing then i feel like it's nearly i'm on the other side you know nearly yeah. towards 10 so there's yeah it, there's there's a good half of it made and i think the rest will come i'm, fe I'm feeling in, like i'm in a good space to write at the moment but I keep saying to people, I, I'm trying not to talk about it because the more you talk about it, it's like you feel like you've done it. But like, you know. know, when you're 
in, in bed at night and you think you've gone to the toilet because you've just thought that you've gone to the toilet, but you haven't actually gone. An interesting place to, <laughs> to, 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 uh, to end the programme, but I think, I think we all know what, you, what, you, what you're talking about. You just do it rather than <laughs> talk about it. So, your next... Uh, and then you fall asleep and you think you've got to <laughs> So your, your, your final choice is Esme Patterson. Tell, yeah. tell me about this song. Well, uh, one of the wonderful things um, about working with uh, a band like Brian Walsh, who's uh, my drummer and percussionist, is I suppose he introduces me to a lot of music and that's been a new chapter in my musical journey. Um, so Brian introduced me to this woman. He'll often send stuff, have a listen to this. And um, he sent me this... Um, recording it's uh actually from npr uh tiny desk concerts and it's just so hot the live recording this what we're going to hear is is so hot and groovy there we go Thank again you. and uh <laughs> like the groovy and funny enough uh, I, I i think it's so much better than her commercial recording so that's why i chose this one but um yeah electric guitar and voice and really gorgeous drums and bass wait till you hear the, the bass in it so yeah Esme Patterson No River that's not in EK thanks a million thanks a million John you've been listening to a podcast of Mystery Train with John Kelly Mystery Train hits the rails every Sunday to Thursday at 7pm on 96 to 99 or to E-Lyric FM